Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest to take a little wander into their life. This week, I'm out stomping with author, journalist, and podcaster, Elizabeth Day. Elizabeth has become incredibly well-known and respected for her podcast, How to Fail, where she speaks to a well-known guest about three of their failures and the lessons learned from these mistakes. I was actually a guest on How to Fail a few years ago, and I talked about feeling that I failed my brother. He obviously passed away a few years ago, and, and that failure is always with me, and I feel that conversation with Elizabeth and how incredible she was uh, really helped me. Um, to be honest, not just in that day, but a long time afterwards. It's really helped me process a little bit. So she really is incredible. It's not just for people listening. I think for those going on the podcast, wow, you know, Elizabeth is a special person. As an author, Elizabeth has written nine books, all of which have been incredibly popular. Yes, nine books, uh, with multiple fiction and non-fiction. But most recently, she released Friendaholic, a non-fiction book about harbouring healthy friendships and boundaries. Friendships and connection is something I'm incredibly passionate about, and it's something I think we're all trying to navigate through life, isn't it? I know this can be an incredible conversation, and I'm so excited to get started. As this episode airs, we are fast approaching the release of The Mind Manual, the book I've written to help, I hope, everyone improve their mental health, improve their relationship with themselves and understand their minds better. I I can't wait for you to read it and I really hope it will help people. So if you haven't pre-ordered yet, please do. And if you're listening to this on or after the 11th of May, the book is now available. So please do check it out. Let's get started. Well, Elizabeth Day, wow. You're on the stump cast. This feels like a real I'm moment so for me. I'm so excited. It's a moment for me as well. Thank you for being so patient. No, not <laughs> at all. I'm, I'm so glad. No, I know. Well, you're a very, you're a very busy person. You know, it's funny. I was saying the last. Well, the, this is the first time since the last time I saw you. Basically, yes. when I met you yeah. was in 2000. <laughs> probably the easy way of saying it. 2018. I just, I'd not long come off Love Island. And no. I was basically. You were, we were doing the interview just around when I was, just before I think I was going back to work. It was kind of in that in-between period. So yeah. you have this rabbit in the headlights, Alex, sat in front of you. You, you were, were very lovely. kind, but oh. you were doing this, you were doing uh, shorthand writing. Yes. I, I do remember me saying, I was I just like, you remember that. what is this wizard doing? I was like, <laughs> what are you, like, you were writing and just, I was mesmerized by it. I was like, is she coding here? I don't know what's oh, no. going on. People, it's very interesting. When I was a print journalist, only a handful of people ever mentioned it, but it is quite weird because I did short my own invented shorthand yeah. while still looking at the person and still talking. So it looked like I was some it's rather Victorian child thing. ghost. Yeah. Well, I remember asking writing. you, you were like, no, it's my own language. Like, you were like, I was like, is there like a, how does no, you're like, no, no, I can read it. <laughs> no one else freak? could. I was like, this is amazing. But you were very yeah. kind. You were very gentle well, you and very, very kind. You were say. very kind to me. And when you came on my podcast, That's Fail, I was blown away that you remembered that. Oh, I remember it well. You were the you were the best. Well, it's no surprise. Look where you are, but um, you were the best 
person that's ever interviewed me, definitely. No offense to any you. other journalist, but that's you definitely so are. I mean, you were great. I mean, we talk. I think you were you're naturally a very deep person. So I think Aww. you know, even though we talked about some of the funnier moments and things, I think yeah. we really did go. And they were both quite deep people, I think. So I think we delved into the I real like to think depth so. at the Thank time. You. Yeah, I agree. Um, and actually, 2018, it's so wild because so much has changed for us mm, since then. Yeah, and it's it only, strange. It yeah, is, isn't it? It's five short years ago. And I haven't launched How You to haven't aged then. at all, and I've aged a you lot. So maybe you look younger. Uh, you I actually look younger. I think you're being um, kind. And then so much has changed for you, and you return to work, and then you've become this phenomenal mental health advocate and ambassador. Wow. And it's just amazing to see. It's interesting because you kind of, um, we met at that early point, and then uh, when we recorded for How to Fail, which that was a really, I really remember us recording it on that day because we kind of went into, like, I felt like it went into my soul in many oh, ways. And I, do you yeah. know, people still, um, I mean, it's a big testament to the success of your podcast, but people still say to me, do you know, your How to Fail episode of Elizabeth, you two together, like, they, they, so many people still say that oh, to that me, that they so go back and me. listen to it. Yeah. But, you, you know, we, it's probably, probably the most I've opened up about, I'd say, that conversation, particularly around, I talked about, you know, feeling that I failed with Theo, which yeah. I... You know, I've, I hold as true today as I did then. It's something that will always uh, be there. And what's interesting is that I guess when we're talking through the failures, it's like some things might be quite trivial and then other failures are quite yes. <laughs> quite deep, aren't they? But I, totally. I remember that day um, very I well because we would kind of too. come out of that pandemic-y time, yes. weren't we? But we were recording remotely. I think that's the other thing that... Yeah potentially made it so special because the way that I recorded mm. was audio only. Yes. And so we weren't seeing each other, yeah. but I do think that gives you such a confessional space where you feel able to open up. I was almost ways. in like, what's the box you sit in the church? Yeah, you know, like confession, confession box, yes, like, yeah, yeah, I was just basically was was admitting. Priest, yes, indeed, saying. yeah, indeed. You were, you were, you were saving me and saying, it's okay, like you've, you've really failed, okay. but <laughs> we'll get you through to the other side. But it was really special. I, re I really enjoyed it. It's so lovely that you're here on the Stompcast now. And I think, so the podcast has been going since about June time now. And it's just amazing because you are kind of like, the mother of all of the podcasts, I would say. Or I love the, that. You Thanks. are like, you, but I think you're one of the people that have taken podcasting to the where it is now. I mean, I, I always really enjoyed podcasts because it feel when you're listening to podcasts, unlike a lot of other formats of either interviews or content, everything's very squeezed and for TV, it's the most squeezed yeah. version of everything. You don't really get into any, I, I don't feel like, unless you're doing a full on documentary and even then you don't get the depth as you do yeah. in the podcast. And what's amazing is you get a real flavor for people and their, and their stories. And that's why I enjoy podcasts so much. And I think you've done that so well. Thank uh, you. On how yeah. to fail. I totally agree with you. And actually it's so interesting that we first met when I was doing a print mm. journalism interview with you. Yeah because part of the reason I launched my podcast was exactly that frustration that with print interviews, not only are you at the mercy of the word count, mm. you're at the mercy of the editor and what they want. Sure. You're at the mercy of the headline writer because you don't get any say over that yeah. as either the interviewee or the interviewer. And I, I love the podcast format for interviews because I know that you've probably experienced this on both sides, mm. but high profile people are far more willing to say yes to something yeah. where they know their words aren't going to get taken out of context. Yeah, like exactly. obviously you can edit out the ums and the ahs, but ultimately you can't really twist their words. Yeah. It's how they say it. And also you tend to have a face that you can trust or someone that you can look in your eyes and they say, look, this is a safe space for you to talk about this. And you can, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've had it many times where I've done an interview with someone 
I've talked about something really important and then they've taken one line out of it and almost certainly it isn't the person interviewing, the journalist has done interview, it's either the editor or they're looking for the headline. And then this, what was going to be a fantastic conversation that hopefully people would read or see online is then completely nothing about that. And that's a real yeah. shame, isn't it? I think, yeah. you know, as someone that's been in journalism for a long time, I wonder what your take is on it. But it feels like the kind of speed of news now means that people are going for harder and more hardcore clickbait yeah. stuff. And it's just such a shame because then there's, it's kind of like, there's, I guess it's difficult for papers because they're like, either we put something really clickbaity on there that, yeah, maybe isn't actually what really we should be talking about or no one reads it. Exactly. It's such a difficult conundrum. And I agree with you on so many levels. Ultimately, there's something driving that demand. So we all need to look at ourselves as consumers of that media as to what media we choose to turn to and which parts of it we trust. And I think questioning the context is always extremely important. It's something I'm guilty of not having done enough in my life. Question the context as to why you're being sold this particular headline in this particular publication. And don't be afraid of questioning that context. Like you're not the one in the wrong for, for asking the questions. And I, for many, many years, didn't think that I deserved to question the context in all areas of life, in terms of being a woman and how I was being treated by men in certain situations. There's this assumption that it is just the way that it is. And actually something that I've learned from younger generations and the incredible activism that's happening around us is that not only is it okay to question what you're being told and sold, it's actually your duty as a citizen, as a thinking person, always question what you're being given as the message. And even stuff when it comes to those headlines, I do think as individuals that I've been guilty, as, as everyone has been, you see a headline, you click on it, and when you open you realise, oh, I've just been sold a headline, I've just clicked on that, which yeah. actually maybe that headline is not very pleasant towards someone yeah. or whatever, and you end up being... Yeah end up clicking on it but the only way you can change that is that it's an odd system either you legislate which is very difficult or the most likely way that we can bring change is that you do it with your feet or with your fingers exactly. right the click, exactly. the clicks don't click on headlines that are you know what... click on important headlines click on things about mental health or yeah. uh, you know the climate change don't click on the kind of and yeah. find sources you trust true there was, there was this um there was a tabloid website news story the other day about how outraged these two women would have been mm. because of a terrible fashion faux pas where they both turned up at a party wearing the same dress and i was like god forbid i i, I think that's exactly i, like, I wear black everywhere never, so that i mean yes. whatever i mean that wasn't the same thing <laughs> that would never cross my mind to feel outraged and i'm sure those women weren't outraged and it wasn't a fashion faux pas they because they both look great in different ways exactly like, whatever you don't even notice that kind of thing <laughs> so we are we're wandering around uh Actually, funny enough, because we've got a link, both got linked to this park. So we're in Kennington, Wolverine and Kennington Park. My HQ used to be here. I've stopped actually with the HQ um, for the reason that essentially I'm out on the Stompcast so much. And ironically, okay. this is the week That's I've handed funny. the keys in and our Stompcast is in the, oh, yeah. in the park. So we're back at the office already, it's clearly. Like our paths are forever linked. Exactly, it's, it's linked. But yeah. it's been an important part for you as well, hasn't it? That throughout the lockdown and so on. Yes, yeah, so uh, my now husband and I moved to South London in October 2019. So we just about unpacked the final box when the pandemic hit and lockdown started. So in a way, obviously it was terrible and devastating. And I feel immensely lucky that I wasn't working on the front line as you were. And most of my friends and family were safe and I had a roof over my head. 
but there was this kind of flip side for us where we didn't really know our area. And because the only thing you could do was go for walks, we got to know our area so well. And I'm a huge history geek, yeah. so I got very into local history. And we go on these long walks and the privilege of being able to walk through these normally busy London streets yeah, sure, sure. without paying much attention to any cars. Um, and then going home and Googling the paths that I just walked. It was, it was a sort of, yeah, it was a daily routine. Do you have a, a historical fact that you learned from those walks? I'm, I'm so glad you asked you. me, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Have you got, have you got from, one that you remember? Yes, from this park, this used to be the site of a lot of radical preachers in the 18th and 19th centuries. They would come here, they would deliver inflammatory lectures against slavery. That's wow. this site that we're walking on right now. Wow. And there was also, which is much sadder, there was an attack during the Blitz and a bomb fell over there. And there's a memorial to the people who died that day. It was a beautiful memorial. Um, I, it's part of what I love about this part of London is that there's so much history and it's also still a very diverse area with lots of different kinds of people and lots of different kinds of housing. And I really like that. And then just down there, there's a church and that marks the site of where they did former public hangings. Oh gosh. The crowds Didn't used to gather me. at the weekends for public hanging. You do kind of, uh, you realise, don't you, that uh, what I found is odd, it's like a human, part of our human like consciousness that we always believe like we're walking around the spotlight. You've always got like that kind of spotlight so effect in your own life. Yeah. And like you're like the idea that like, you're the star of your movie, but you, you kind of, when you leave today, you've carried on your life, yes. which you believe that spotlight is on you. And I believe my spotlight, yeah. not in a narcissist, not in a kind yeah. of narcissist or like self-centered <laughs> sense, but you know, the light is on you and your life. It's easy to forget sometimes that even where we're walking now, God knows what's happened here before. That's such a beautiful such a way of putting it. You're so right. Thinking. It's why I love history. That idea that, any ground that you've walked on has been walked on hundreds, thousands of years before by other people and dinosaurs who mm. might have had their own preoccupations, their own anxieties. An anxious dinosaur, an interesting Anxious thought, dinosaurs. To be fair, you could have got like eaten in the background there. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I you imagine might... they're the most anxious dinosaurs. Yes, they might be. I, I think anything, 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 anything that can get munched is going to be quite anxious, I'd imagine. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, well, only if they know they can get munched. This is true. another interesting philosophical digression. Yes, that's true, isn't it? That's, <laughs> if that's you true. don't know that you can get munched, then maybe you're just really happy. So, do you think? Uh, do you think that maybe one of our? It's kind of trying to work it out. Are we benefited by hindsight, foresight, and planning in terms of like we should look at the past and go like bad things have happened here or good things have happened? What can we learn from it? Or actually, are we better off being oblivious? What do you think? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I, well, as a human being, I definitely think that it's good to have hindsight, to look at our past, to respect our past. And we were talking about the pandemic. Hopefully, if another pandemic comes along, we'll be better equipped to deal with it. Do the you think premise, we will? Uh, well, you'll know more than I do. <laughs> I <laughs> guess on a societal sense, are we? history never fully repeats itself. So it's not, it's not mm. going to happen the same way again. The only thing, I, I guess my part of my... Um worries is that I look at what's going on in the world right now and you look at things like Ukraine and what's happening you know there's very many uh, murmurings of, of a time that wasn't that long ago is yeah. there really and you think are we learning are we really learning I think we have to be open to learn in order mm. to learn and I think that's it's sort of the premise of the work I do around failure yeah. that most failures can teach us something if mm. we're willing to let them and most failures are survivable that's the other great thing but you're right, you know, history has echoes through time, but it mm. never entirely repeats itself. I think that point, isn't it? Then when we were, when we were talking about failure on your, on your podcast, I think 
for failure to be beneficial you have to have the, the key point is the self-awareness and the ability to learn yes. and and change as well you kind of have to go that went wrong so what we're going to do different this time and, exactly. and stick to that difference not get drawn back into our own behaviors you know like a behavior cycle or stuff like yeah. you can easily end up if you allow ego or if you allow you know past learnings to kind of pull you back into that cycle of behavior we end up the same place and i guess God, it's gone very deep but on a kind of a worldwide sense i mean there's a you know there's a question are we not ending up back into those similar cycles and i guess our hope is that we can put the brake on before yeah i mean go too far again you'll know this better than i do but part of my issue is that a lot of our political ruling class are people who from my perception seem to lack that necessary self-awareness mm. in order to be open and humble enough to learn from lessons to admit that they've made mistakes and to treat failure as data acquisition. And then that goes back to what we were talking about, about questioning the context behind headlines. You also need to question the politicians you're electing. Mm. Mm. But that, I mean, I love how deep we've got so quickly. Yeah, it's just great to go deep <laughs> from this point. And look, you, you've, you've been talking about failure with lots of different people from different walks of life and different yeah. circumstances. And I think different levels of failure in terms of maybe how catastrophic they may feel or they may seem. Like, what are, the, what are your takeaways from that? And I guess, you know, what have you learned? I find it fascinating because you've spent so much time on this. You've got real insight into people's lives, really. What are the things that you've taken away personally? And also, I guess, for people who are stomping now listening to this, what are the kind of key lessons that other people can learn? Because I think that's the big point. We learn from our own failures, but learn from other people's as well. Yes, definitely. I think I've learned what a failure is. Now, that sounds so stupid because I launched a podcast called How to Fail, so... I assumed I knew the definition, but actually, <laughs> actually failure is quite nuanced because there are two different kinds. There's your common or garden failure, which is failing your driving test, assisting an exam, not getting the mark that you yeah. wanted. And that's quite an easy one to assimilate and to realize that you can learn from. Yeah. But there are also cataclysmic failures that lie beyond the scope of human understanding, like a global pandemic, like a chronic illness, like someone dying, as you know only too well, and I'm so sorry that you have experienced that. And those ones are far more difficult to live with. And it would be monstrous to me to sit here and be like, well, you can get meaning from it and it's fine, because there are some failures that will live alongside you, with you, in you for the rest of your life. However, I still believe that that process can teach you something meaningful. So I think that's the main thing that I've learned, that I now know, because of all the amazing people that I've been lucky enough to meet, and you're one of them, I know that whatever I go through, I will probably be able to cope because of what I've been through before, because of the stories that I've heard, and because of what I believe, that there is meaning if you're open to it. Do you think that, do you believe that, that you can survive any failure? Is there, is there? Not any, no, there are some failures that for whatever reason, very sadly won't be survivable for any individual. But I feel more confident that I'm more resilient and more able to cope with what life throws at me. I think what's amazing, and I, I kind of, I've seen this um, in my parents actually, is how things can happen to people that are pretty much unimaginable. And actually even outside of that, I mean, I've, I worked in a hospital not too far from here in Lewisham and I've met people where things have happened to them. And it's really genuinely hard to understand how how they survived, and in particular one I, I remember, which has stuck with me for a long time, is um, a Polish lady who came in, she basically had a very horrific upbringing, essentially grew up without a family as a result, 
um, came to this country, um, was at the hands of abuse uh, in this country and, you know, where she was cared for as a child. She tried to always remain positive and really wanted to kind of make the most of life. She got cancer in her 20s, survived that cancer, went into teaching and then as a result, the cancer couldn't have children. And then by the time I saw her in A&E, she basically had a completely separate cancer that had come and she was terminally unwell. And I remember her very well because, not because necessarily her case is perhaps sadly that rare, but she, when I saw her in the recess department and I walked in to say hello to her, um, and I thought, God, I looked through the history, and I thought, God, this poor lady, she's been through so much, you know, what a life. And uh, I walked in and she was smiling at me. And I thought, how? have I walked in the right bay here? Now, that was my kind of automatic mindset. I guess there's a bit of a self-reflection kind of on that, but walked in and she smiled, hi, doctor. And I said, you know, how, how are you? What's happened? And bear in mind, she came in really sick. She was effectively dying when I saw her. And I started treating her and stabilised her. And I said to her, I said, look, I hope you don't mind me asking, but why are you so happy? You've been so, 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 through so much and you're so happy. And she said, well, you know, I don't know how long I've got here. Um, and I've learned in life that even with all the worst things that happen, there's always some reason to smile and, and oh. to be happy. And she said, if I can smile at you and make your day better, then that's, that's a good thing for me. Wow. And she just had this attitude, this positivity. And you think, God, if I'd have gone through all the stuff that you'd have gone through, I think I'd feel pretty twisted at the world. And she still had that element of like, the world had failed her basically, but yes. she still was that that smiling beacon. I can still see her face now. And it, That's beautiful. You can learn so much from, from those things, can't you? And sometimes we can almost become obsessed with our own failures and shortcomings and things that have happened against yeah. us and, and forget, you know, that, you know what, you can survive almost anything, can't you? That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Because I think we can also become really obsessed with being perfect, with having life lived perfectly, with being consistently and constantly happy. And when I say that I believe that's a myth, I don't mean that to be depressing. I mean it to be liberating. Mm -hmm. That actually life, I firmly believe, is texture. It's all the emotions. Like yeah. what a privilege it is to be able to feel all of the emotions mm. and to understand this very difficult, confusing, but ultimately quite joyful thing of being human and being yeah. on this planet. And that's why connection is so important to me. That connection that you had with that Polish woman, the connection that I had with you in 2018, mm those small moments of connection remind us what it is to be human. They do. So in a way, it gives you an insight, doesn't it? Sometimes I think it's helpful, not that you want to see other people suffering, I clearly am not um, suggesting that, but it does sometimes, when you look at other people and go, do you know what, other people are struggling too, you don't feel as alone. And actually, yeah. if you loop back to your conversation about history, one of the things about history that we can learn is, is that sense of perspective. And exactly. like, yeah, times are hard, but you know what? There are, difficult, there are other difficult times. And, and often I, I use the, the kind of zoom out technique with anxiety and worry sometimes. You know, when I'm worrying about something, I zoom out and go, right, okay, so worry today. How long have we been around? We've been around for hundreds of thousands of years. How many problems that have occurred in that time? Let's zoom out even further and how long the planet's been around. Then you zoom out and think about the universe and kind of look and go, do you know what? I'm going through a really hard day today. And it's not just minimize your problems or yeah. even say they're not important. It's just to allow a perspective that this most problems are survivable, aren't they? Definitely. And I would cite two of my former podcast guests here, Alain de Botton, the philosopher, who counsels the idea of worst case scenario pessimism, where mm. If you're confronted with a problem and you're really stressed about it, imagine the worst case scenario. Could you mm -hmm. cope with it? You might not want to cope with it, but could you cope? And in most cases, you probably could. 
but in a world where the worst case scenario exists, the best case scenario has to exist. So That's now so imagine true. that. That's so Could you true. cope with that? Yes, you probably love it. The truth will probably turn out to be somewhere in the middle. That's so true. And it's that's very helpful. And it's sort of what you were saying about perspective. And then Mo Gaudat, who came on my podcast. I was in, about to say, Soul to be Happy is one of the best. Soul to be Happy is incredible. And he, it was to promote that book, actually. And it was in early 2019, mm, so season four, that he came on my podcast. And you will know, Mo's the most phenomenal oh, person. He's become like something of a personal guru to me. And his son Ali died in incredibly tragic circumstances age 21 and Mo was confronted with this existential problem of how to continue living when his beloved son had died during a routine operation and the conclusion he came to was yes Ali died but he also lived and within that sentence was 21 years of Mm. joy and togetherness and an incredible relationship between the two of them And towards the end of the interview, we got into a conversation about whether he would take it back, whether he would reverse Ali's death and take it away. And the conclusion he came to was ultimately that he wouldn't because so much good had also come from it in that he had written this book and helped millions of people around the world be happy. And I just think that that's an amazing way to look at things as well. And it won't work for everyone. And I'm not saying that, but I I do find it very comforting to return to those two ideas. Well, I have, and I really, just, I'm really not trying to make this podcast about me, I'm really, I'm not, but I, um, my brother's birthday was recently, clearly it would have been 22, and I had, um, I had a message the other day from a, uh, a young boy who, um, very much his age, when clear, passed away, and this Instagram picture of him playing football, and he said, he messaged me, he said that because of what he's seen as from my posts, he didn't take his life when he was absolutely had a plan to do it. And now he was like, I can't even imagine that I would do that. And I had this slightly weird wow. existential thing of like, think how many people, and again, I'm not trying to say, oh, look, you know, yeah. uh, this is just true for anyone else. And the same for Mo in his situation, obviously, but would you reverse Clear's death? I mean, would you change that? How many lives has that saved? It's such a, and people might think, mm. oh my God, you're sick saying that, but would you change it? Of course, in a personal level, I would, yes. but how many people have their sons now Yes. And I've had mothers message me saying a similar thing that, wow. you know, it does make you question, would you change so history? Would you, would you reverse history? So powerful. Yeah. I, I'm so sorry, Alex. And no. that must be hard. How old were you when you went on Love Island? Weren't you 20? 27. No, 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 I was only 27. I'm 32 Wait, now. <laughs> 32. I'm th- I'm, 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 my, my, the years are rolling on by, aren't they? You know? they are, well, they are. They are. But uh, the idea that age diminishes us is a myth. Yes, it indeed. actually empowers us. We become yes, more ourselves. Indeed. Now I must. We are. We have. We've gone so deep in the first part of the podcast. I know people can love it, but I'm going to have to finish one. Uh, it can be a short answer if you like. As, as, I leave it open to you. What would you say is? I'm not going to say your biggest failure because I actually think that's too deep for one part. But let's. Mm-hmm. Shall we say? Could you share one failure we've learned something, even if it's really small, yeah. that you can share with people that might just help them along the way? Yeah, I failed my driving test. Kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I did. Reset it. That's the answer. Yeah. I know. I did get it the second time and I mm. had learned a lot in the interim. Mm. No, I'm, I am going to go deep with this one because one of my failures, I perceive it as a failure, is my failure to have children. And that has caused me an enormous amount of grief and pain and heartache over the years. And it's taught me an enormous amount at the same time. It's taught me about grief. Um, it's taught me to question social conditioning. Like how much do I want those things for myself? 
and how much am I just being told that I should want that via convention. It's taught me that there are so many different ways to be a parent in this world and I have amazing children in my life who aren't my biological babies. But it's also brought me into contact with some incredible women and men who have walked a similar path. And I never would have met them were it not for this. And I've met so many wonderful people, some of whom have become extremely close friends. And I feel that together we can build a different kind of life and we can hopefully show the generations coming up after us that you don't necessarily have to have children in order to be fulfilled. So that I think is my quest, is to find a way of living a meaningful life with purpose, which doesn't have this big part in it that I really wanted and that I grieve for daily. But living with that grief doesn't mean that my life is less joyful. It's, it just means that my life is painted a different colour than it would have been otherwise. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know it's not easy to talk about those things. Thank the, you for the one thing I was thinking when you were saying that, and interestingly, I guess something that makes you think in a way is that a lot of people assume that if you failed it was within your control yes and that's another aspect yes. isn't it not all failures were actually your any of your responsibility Absolutely. you've experienced it you've always been part of that journey but it you didn't really have that much control that yeah time, and it really made me question how much um of the language we use around certain quote-unquote failures mm. is that language of internalized mistake making so you will know this because in medicine particularly fertility medicine there is so much vocabulary of failure like yeah, you're failing to yeah. respond to the drugs you've yeah, got an oh incompetent gosh, yeah. cervix an inhospitable womb i say this all the time it just like trips on the tongue now because yeah. i'm so passionate well, the textbooks. About i remember pain. reading all those words in the textbooks that i studied not that long ago so yeah. it, it is ingrained in you that there is something like where it's almost like when the approach is like we look at fertility, unfortunately, some of that approach is like, whose fault is it? Oh, it's your totally. side. It's the maternal. Totally. And it's such, an, it's such an odd concept when you step back and you go, hang on, we're actually basically saying like, you've almost chosen this for yourself. Honestly, and it's so archaic and it's really patriarchal. And I internalise so much of it that I, I can honestly tell you, even having devoted the last five years of my life to learning about failure, even though I think I'm like, quite well versed in the philosophies around failure and even knowing everything I know I still when I had a miscarriage or when I had unsuccessful fertility treatment recently I still internalized that I still thought it was my fault and I had to have a word with myself yeah. well even then you were unsuccessful yeah you know, exactly success and failure exactly. it's opposite of success it's failure you see, yeah. it's like the battle the day everyday battle i have against the stigma of mental illness and mental health because it's fundamentally ingrained in almost everyone even look at a very famous case and the police happened recently and i posted about it it was kind of like wow we've literally just spilled out so much stigma in this moment around alcoholism and you know uh, oh you know someone's got mental illness that's just kind oh, of almost yes. i mean it was yes. just i was sat there like why was, i had to like kind yeah. of sit for a day and think right that was very triggering all of that really frustrating and i think also that language of success i mean i'm sort of doing myself out of a job here but i don't know if there is any <laughs> I don't for me I, i'm not sure that there's any such thing as conventional success anymore for me the true mark of a life well lived is its authenticity is being able to find discover and then be your true self mm -hmm. that for me is the key
Well done everyone that's joined us for part one of the Stompcast. Um, I'm loving this conversation with uh, Elizabeth Day. I'm, I'm so excited you're on I can't still can't believe I'm saying that you're on the Stompcast. It's a real honour for me personally. So guys, join us for part two, whether you're doing this in one whole block or three parts, whether you're doing it over a few days, it doesn't matter, you're succeeding, you're doing very well. The opposite exactly. of failure is success apparently. <laughs> Indeed, whatever you're doing, even get out for a few steps, you're, you're benefiting your mind, your body. So well done, see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.